Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Good to see all you guys here this morning for our Never Enough series. I have to tell you, in the first service, I was I was preaching, and I love it when you guys are here, and the orange is good. I know that I'm a, you know got friends here, no question about that, and we're glad you're worshiping with us. But there was a dude sitting just on the other side in a red uh, Kansas City Chiefs jersey. I'm trying to preach. I'm like, man, if you're going to do that, let's mute that a little bit. Let's move back. Just anybody, any Chiefs fans here today? Want to go ahead and know where you are? There one, but you didn't wear the you didn't wear the jersey, so that's praise God for that. Good. There is nothing wrong with a second place finish in the game today. It's been a good season for you guys. We want you to know that you've got a lot to be excited about. Don't don't worry about. I should never jump on the bandwagon. Anytime I jump on a team's bandwagon, it tends to sink the wagon for some reason. But uh, anyhow, I know a lot of folks are excited about that game today, and uh, we are excited that you guys are, are are here with us today as well. If you uh, are like me. I wonder if you might have struggled some in your life with uh, insecurity. Now, I have sort of said it in other ways. I, I told folks for years that I'm more, a, more or less a people pleaser. That sounds a whole lot better than saying I'm a praise junkie, which is probably what uh, is more true of who I am. But in this series, Never Enough, we're, we're talking about the things in our life that we look to to provide satisfaction. The problem is it takes a while for us to realize it, but those things ultimately don't do that. You know, last week we talked about money, and we said, uh, you know, we, we, we saw the story of Hophni and Phinehas in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and realized that greed, money doesn't satisfy. We're going to see that power doesn't satisfy. Uh, we're, we're going to see today uh, this idea of, of just receiving praise. Ultimately, that doesn't fully satisfy. And so what I want us to see today is a story in Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's a, it's a pretty sad story. It's a story of Israel's first king. So we're studying through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Last week you got a reading plan if you didn't get one. As Brad said, we have one of those for you. We even have group kits and really excited about all folks who are leading a never enough a small group. But what we're seeing as we're studying through 1 and 2 Samuel is a lot of these characters in this story struggled with the same things that we struggle with. But, you know, as we talk about things that we struggle with, money, power, pleasure, all those things, we, we sort of get that. But one of the things that we miss and at our own peril is that living for the praise of others can be super damaging. And living an insecure life can be a, a super da damaging thing. And that, that's really Saul's story. Saul's the first king in Israel. And, and Saul comes to the throne. I mean, he's tall, dark, and handsome. He's got the look. He's got the people. He's got it all. Yet Saul loses everything. And one of the reasons why Saul lost everything and one of the reasons why it cost him so much was Saul was an exceedingly insecure person. And insecurity will cost us so much. You see, when you don't really understand who you are, you're constantly needing others to tell you. But that's never enough. And so we're going to talk about that today. If you have your Bibles, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we, we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 
One of the things that you need to know here is, is Saul is king of the nation of Israel, but God, through the prophet Samuel, has already told Saul that he's losing his kingdom. He's not going to be king. His children aren't going to follow in his footsteps, that the kingdom is going to be taken away from him because of the sin that he has already committed multiple times in not trusting God. And, and Saul was more concerned about what other people thought about him than what God thought about him. And so you have to understand, when you read First and Second Samuel, one of the things that can be a little bit difficult is, is understanding the already but not yet. God has already told told Samuel, or already told Saul this is going to happen, but it's not yet realized. And that can kind of help us in our own spiritual journey because that can be true for us. We live in the, in the midst of the already and not yet as well. So he has told Saul that the kingdom is going to be taken away from him. It's going to be a few years before that happens. And also the prophet uh, Samuel has told a young man named David that he's going to be the next king in Israel. In First Samuel chapter 17, the story right before the story we're going to look at today is probably one of the most popular stories in the Bible. It's the story of David and Goliath. And we see, stay, we see David's stars really on the rise. He goes out and he's victorious over Israel's greatest enemy of listing, and this champion, this giant named Goliath. And then on the heels of that, Saul calls David in right after the battle, and he wants to, wants to talk with him. And so let's pick up. After David had finished talking with Saul, again, Saul's the king, David's fresh, this young man fresh off this unbelievable battle battle that God brought a victory for. It says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And so we have to ask this question, who's Jonathan? Saul's the king, Jonathan's his son. Now, Jonathan is an interesting character in this story. In fact, Jonathan has more to lose than anybody else in this story because he was son of the king, which meant when the king's gone, it would have been his place to take over uh, and lead the nation of Israel. But he already knew that God was giving the kingdom to David. And when Jonathan meets David and gets to interact with him, he sees God's fingerprints all over David. And, and Jonathan's good with that. He doesn't have any jealousy or insecurity. He trusts what God's doing through, through David. It's an amazing story. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. So we're kind of comparing and contrasting Saul, who wants to manipulate things and control things because he's exceedingly insecure, and then his son Jonathan, verse 3. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Look at verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing as the king's son. And gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. His, his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt would have been the best in the kingdom because he was the king's son. But he takes it off and gives it to David because he's affirming him. This is going to be really important in just a few moments. Jonathan says, I know what God has said about you. I see evidence of what God has said about you. And so I'm believing that. So I'm showing others that I believe that. And I don't want any animosity between uh, the two of us. Whatever mission Saul sent him on. David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officials as well. Now, verse 6 is where the story turns, and, and this section of Scripture is why we picked this today, because I think it has so much traction for us today, because we're going to see King Saul's insecurity come boiling to the surface. You know, and here's the thing about insecurity is we don't really see it when we look in the mirror, but it is affecting our life in so many ways. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. In other words, now the army has just routed the Philistines, and David has been the one who, who won the battle over Goliath, and so now it's a victory tour for the army of Israel. So they're marching through towns, and so Saul's just leading them through. He's tall. He's proud. He's loud and proud. He feels good about himself, and the people are coming out, and they're worshiping God, but really Saul hears it as worshiping him. All right, and listen to what they said. As they dance, they sing, Saul has slain his thousands. Saul's like, 
Bring me a little bit more of that. I like it. It's good. Saul has slain his thousands. And then the next verse. This is where Saul, it, it, it spins him out. And David, his tens of thousands. And that's like the needle kind of ripping off the record player. Saul's like, what? Saul was very angry. His, this refrain displeased him greatly, the scripture says. Why does it displease him? Because he is so insecure, and this exposes his insecurity. And then he says, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only thousands. What more can, can he, he get but the, the kingdom? It wasn't enough for, for him. You see, the praise the people gave him wasn't enough. He wanted more, and so now he's exceedingly angry with David and wants to destroy him. We're going to see the progression of... If insecurity isn't dealt with, if we don't repent from it and see what the Bible has to say about it, then it can be super, super damaging. Watch what happens next. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David, right? Because he's trying to manipulate things, control things. Verse 10, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand. Look at verse 11. This is crazy. And he hurled it at David. Like that kind of ends the dinner party, right? Saying to himself, I'll pin you to the wall. But David eludes him twice. What just happened? Now, it's important as we're here to study the Bible that we, this is a difficult passage. Verse 10 and 11 are pretty difficult. And I want to try to give you a little bit of context here. It it says that an evil spirit uh, uh, came upon Saul. You see, in the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit of God coming on believers for a specific time and for a specific purpose. And so the Holy Spirit was on Saul as Saul was leading the nation of Israel. Yet when Saul rejects God, then you see the Holy Spirit being removed from Saul and that mantle going to David for the work that God was calling him to do. Now in the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming on believers and residing within believers and staying within believers. So it's a little, it's a little bit different. But it says that Saul was also prophesying. Now that isn't him, that isn't him preaching the truth of God's word. It was him being involved in some sort of religious sort of ecstatic utterance, and he was trying to really fool people to, to make people think he was still right with God when he was really a far, far wrong and, and, and a far ways away from a right relationship with God. And then you say, well, how do we know? Because of the fruit. Then he tries to kill David, right? I mean, I think if that happens in your small group, you realize here's a dude that's messed up, right? I mean, this is, this is not healthy. Verse 13, so he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaign. So from this point on in 1 Samuel, until Saul dies, you see him pursuing David and wanting to kill him, and all of this is fueled by Saul's insecurity. So let's stop, and we're going to look at Saul's story through the lens of his insecurity. That doesn't mean that's the only way we could look at Saul's story, but we're going to look at it today because I have this belief. I have this belief that insecurity is costing you way more than you realize. I have this belief that there are few things in your life that are costing you more personally in every area, in your spiritual life, in all of your relationships, in your professional life. I think there are probably few things that are costing you more than your insecurity. And so here's what we need to do first. I think it's important for us to recognize the high cost of insecurity. In this story, it costs all the kingdom. It cost Saul his kingdom. It cost him his children. He lost not only his life, but he lost his son's life in battle. And and let me just summarize what we're going to say in case you're going to check out and and not listen to anything else. Here's what you see in in Saul's life. And this series is really about uh, contentment, how you and your life can find greater levels of contentment. Because I think we have everything except one thing, and that's contentment. 
And so we lack satisfaction. And so I would say this. If you want to live the rest of your life discontent, living for the praise of men over the praise of God is always a blueprint for a discontented life. That's Saul's story. Living for the praise of men over the praise of God is a fast track for being discontented the rest of your life. Now, here we go. Let's look at the high cost of insecurity for just a few minutes, and then we're going to close today in the final few minutes, kind of taking a look at how we can really wave and say so long insecurity. Can I just tease that a little bit and say, wouldn't that be cool in your life if you were beginning to break free from some insecurity? It would be be fabulous in, in my life. Here's the first thing you have to understand. Insecurity can can actually bring to life your greatest fears. If you live in insecurity, if you don't know who you are, if you live in insecurity, it can actually bring to life your greatest fears. And here's what I mean. What what was Saul's greatest fear? That he would lose the kingdom. And his insecurity actually brought to life his greatest fear. Sometimes in relationships, you'll see that the greatest fear is losing this relationship. But if you stay in insecurity and that insecurity is brought into that relationship, it can actually bring to life your greatest fear. You can really... Track that in just about every area of your life. Number two, insecurity puts a tremendous strain on any relationship. You know, sometimes we wonder, why are we struggling in a relationship? Why did we get to this place that we're in? And insecurity puts a heavy, heavy strain on any relationship, not just in marriage, but listen, if there's a coworker, if there's somebody in your life, there's somebody on your pod, I don't know, that's an exceedingly insecure person, and you just get exhausted trying to pump them up, Right? I mean, an insecure person puts a heavy strain on every single relationship. Number three, and this is all the high cost of insecurity. I'm just trying to help you see as I'm trying to see there is a high cost to insecurity in our lives. Here's the third thing I would say. Insecurity colors everything you hear. You see, an insecure person always feels like they're slighted. They're being slighted. And people aren't even talking about them. And, no, you know, somebody might say after church, say, boy, that Daniel, he can really sing. It's beautiful. It's great singing. And they say, well, I sang a lot in high school. I used to be a part of the praise band. We had played a few festivals. I know it's not as good as Daniel. And you're like, dude, I wasn't, wasn't talking about you. I was just making a statement that Daniel sings good. And how come everything always has to be turned to you? Do you know what? Don't nod here. But do you know anybody like that? It's exhausting. No matter, no matter what you say or you praise somebody, and sooner or later it just, just comes back to them. Man, that lunch was great. That casserole was one of the best. Chicken casserole was one of the best I've ever had. Also, you don't like mine? I'd do something real similar. thought you liked it. Yeah, dude, I, it wasn't. No. And you think, where, have you ever said, where did that come from? Have you ever thought that? Like, wow, where in the world did that come from? That's insecurity. Insecurity makes us always feel like we're slighted. And that happens so often in relationships that are in conflict and, and, and couples will say, I don't even know why we got there. I don't know. She said this and I, I don't even know. Listen, sin always blinds us. And insecurity makes us always feel slighted. And this is really hard teaching, man. Listen, I don't want to say things like this because people don't like it. But I want you to be at peace with where your feet are. I want to be at peace with where my feet are. I'm done with living a discontented life. Anybody else with me? So it's going to take some hard truth. Uh, One person is, praise God. It's probably a Chiefs fan. I'm sorry. I'm glad. Thank you. Here's the thing. You're you're kind of one of those folks that, you know what, it's it's always at the office if an email comes out and somebody's being 
you know, getting some praise because of a sale they made, and, and it just immediately goes to you having a problem with your boss or on a team, you know what, a, a coach praises somebody on the team, it always comes back to you. Not, and, and you're always one of those that you just always feel slighted. And think about this. Your friends know this. People close to you know that you always feel like you're slighted at the office, in a relationship, wherever it is, you're just always getting slighted. Here's, here's something that could be some good news for you. I want you to see the source of that because you're never going to be free from it until you really understand where, it, where it's coming from. It could be it's just insecurity, a lot of insecurity. You need to understand that if you're going to be free from it. And, and here's the fourth thing I would say before we move on and talk about how we can be free from it. I'm just talking about the high cost of insecurity here, right? Insecurity is costing you way more than you ever realized. It costs all everything. You see, insecurity will lead to a greater sin in your life. It'll always, this is, the enemy's, this is the enemy's desire for you. It's never just to keep you where you are in disobedience. It's always to grow that and exploit that. And insecurity is one of those things that, 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 that's, that's kind of a pretty little thing inside the, the, the church. If, you know, if somebody confesses that they're a drug addict, man, we deal with that. But if somebody says they're a praise addict, we just kind of let that slide like that's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's all the enemy needs to come in and have an open door and exploit that and move on to more things, right? And in Saul's life, Saul's insecurity, his sin leads to greater levels of sin. It led to more fear in his life. Saul became so fearful that he had to hire folks to come in and to play music for him to try to soothe him. It led to more anger. I mean, if you're a dude who grabs a spear and tries to pin a guy to the wall with a spear, there's some anger issues there, right? I mean, I mean it led to aggression, manipulation. He's trying to control everything. And if you're trying to manipulate things, that's exhausting, by the way, isn't it? And then it just led him to out-and-out out insanity. Man, this thing got nuts. In fact... If you read on in 1 Samuel, there's an amazing story, a sad story, where uh, Saul finds out that there's a group of priests in a town called Nob that are helping David as David is on the run for doing nothing, by the way. And, and, and Saul thinks these guys are trying to help him. So, so Saul comes down, finds out that there's a group of guys that maybe gave David some food. And so he brings all the priests out of the town. There are 85 priests in the town, and he has every one of them slaughtered. And then that wasn't enough. All the women and the children and the livestock in the town slaughtered. Now, there's one word for that. That's nuts, isn't it? It's crazy. I'm just here to tell you that, that insecurity can lead to a lot of things, and it'll drive you absolutely crazy. So here we go. At this point, all we've said is this. There's a high cost to insecurity. It's probably a greater cost than you ever realized. But how can we break free from it? Well, let, let's talk about it today for just a few minutes as we, as we close. The first thing I think if you're going to break free from, from insecurity, you have to understand that there's a difference between flattery and affirmation. Now, this is a hard thing. There's a difference between flattery and affirmation, right? Flattery, it's not bad. Please hear what I'm about to say because this could get you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't say flattering things to your wife. Don't go home and say, you know what, Pastor Bray said I shouldn't flatter you, so just all that stuff. I'm not saying that. No. I'm just saying there's a different difference. Flattery many times is just, flattery is mainly focused on externals. Don, that's a heck of a shirt. I love the shirt. That's a great shirt. It is. But it's also flattery is praise fishing sometimes, right? Because if I say, that's a great shirt, I want you to say, jacket, nice jacket. Say it. Nice jacket. Thank you. <laughs> I had to fish hard there, didn't I? 
I was like, that looks good. And then he said, no, man, you look, oh, quit. Isn't that funny when people say quit? What are they saying? No, more, please. And flattery can sometimes be that way. And that's not bad. It'll just never bring contentment in your life. There's never enough of it. What is even worse, watch this, is we tend to orchestrate our lives around flattery. We, we, we tend to put so much effort and emphasis into those things that will get some of that praise, some of that flattery, right? And, and, and instead of aff- and seeking affirmation, now here's what affirmation is. Affirmation is when I see evidences of God's grace in your life, when I see fingerprints of what God is doing in your life, when I see God working in your life and I call that out. That's affirmation. Do you understand the difference? Right? Flattery says, hey, I like your hair. Nobody says that to me. But affirmation says, I love how you're walking consistent. I just see some consistency in your life that I didn't see in in past, right? That's evidence of God's grace. Now, why is this why is this so important? Here's why it's so important. Flattery is never enough while affirmation really breeds contentment. And if I'm really walking in obedience, if I'm choosing to walk in obedience to the Lord, listen, I'm growing in my faith. People will see that and they begin to affirm me in that, then that breeds some contentment. That's what Jonathan is doing with David. Jonathan is saying, David, I see God's hand on you, man. I mean, you went out, you had so much courage. You're just a little shepherd, dude, but you believed God when nobody else believed God. And I saw that in you, man. And I'm with you. I'm going to follow you. He isn't flattering David. He's affirming him. He's affirming what he sees God doing in his life. And that breeds contentment. Does that make sense? You've just got to decide which one are you going to live for. And here's the trap. If you orchestrate your life around flattery, there will never be enough of that for you. There will never be enough of that. Number two, right? Number two. If you want to be able to say so long in security, you have to really in your life avoid the comparison trap, right? Now, social media fuels comparison. This is what got... Saul so torqued, he was comparing himself to David when the ladies came out and saw you. God used you to slay a thousand, but he used David to slay tens of thousands. And so Saul's comparing himself. Comparison really is the enemy of contentment. Does that make sense? But it's something that we give ourselves to so much. You know, I, I think about this. I started preaching right as the, in, the, in the beginning of the internet age. Now, the internet has not been a friend to preachers, to be honest. Here's what I mean. It has, but it hasn't. Every great preacher, I should say, the internet has not been a friend to insecure preachers. Some of you laughed a little too loud. That was awkward. (laughs) Feeling more insecure. But every great preacher is just one click away. You want to hear the great, you want to hear Francis Chan, he's one click away, right? You want to hear Andy Stanley, he's one click away. So I'm always in this group and say, man, I was driving to work today listening to an Andy Stanley message. He is awesome. I'm like, huh. Francis Chan is doing a series that I'm, I'm loving right now, man, it's great. And I'm, I'm like, huh, hey, we're, we're kind of doing a series, series two. And that's just my insecurity coming out until I really realize this. God isn't comparing me to Francis Chan or Andy Stanley. I'm not in a comparison with them. I'm not up against them. It's got to be who God's called me to do, to be. God has a race marked out for me to run. God has a race marked out for you to run. You understand that? He's not comparing you to somebody else. You just got to run the race that God has marked out for you to run. And that's so liberating, isn't it? Right? That's really where contentment is. I don't have to be like somebody else. I just got to be who God's called me to be. And God is not comparing me. And so why should I give in to that comparison trap? But we would say amen to that. But how do you know? 
if you're struggling with comparison, because you, you, you will see that, that rivalry, covetousness is a churchy word that just says, I just want what you have, and I'm not happy unless I have it, or competitiveness, over-competitiveness against somebody else. If you're prone to rivalry, and that can happen inside families, man, with siblings. It can happen in the workplace. It can happen in every area of life. If you're prone to rivalry, comparison, covetousness, it's, it's really a sign. It's the rotten fruit, I would say. It's the rotten fruit of a discontent life. Right, And we just need to know that. Like, man, that is just what I'm prone to. That's the rotten fruit of a discontent life. Now, let me say the other side of that. Watch this. Here's how, and and I think this can be so meaningful. Here's how you know you're starting to grow in this area. Here's how you know you're starting to say so long, insecurity. When you see your neighbor as an object of God's grace, not as a symbol of comparison, then you're starting to break free. Like when you see someone and you can celebrate the good things that God's doing in their life, like, man, that's a cool car. I'm happy for you. I don't need, you know, not that I want that. I can't be happy unless I have a car like that. No, I can say, you know what? I can just rejoice with you. I can see you as an object of God's grace, not as a symbol of someone that I'm comparing myself against. Now, when you start to do that, then that's glimpses. That's glimpses of God's grace in your life that is freeing you, freeing you from the comparison trap. Now, here we go. I've got about 10 minutes. If you listen well, I can do it in seven. I'm not promising that. But the next two things I'm going to say, you will never break free from insecurity without knowing them. You won't. And listen, you will never live the life that God wants you to live without breaking free from insecurity and understanding your identity. Can I tell you something about the enemy? Here's what Satan is an identity thief. That's what he is in many ways. He can steal your identity. He can control your behavior. I believe this. I don't believe behavior is our problem in our life. I think it's a false identity that's our biggest problem. If we don't know, once we know who we are, behavior tends to follow that, right? So let's talk about this. Contentment is not found in what others say about you, but in knowing what God says about you. Contentment is not found in what others say about you, but in knowing what God says about you. Some of you have been belittled and berated all your life by other people, and there are many people inside this room who have taken their identity from what other people have said about them and not what God says about you. That's been true in my life in many ways. Now, here's back to this story. To me, I, I wish we had hours. I wish some of you would say, you know what, I don't, I don't even want to watch the you know, AFC championship game today. Let's just stay. No takers. Anyways, one of you, praise God for you. Come on. Yeah. I want to watch the game too, though. That's a problem, so I need to get through. I'm sorry. i got to get through this. Anyways, I'm just kidding. Um, Jonathan, to me, it's like, the most content dude in this story, even though he has the most to lose. Why is that? Because God's word was enough for Jonathan. God said, I'm giving the kingdom to David. And Jonathan said, you're God. You know best. I see, evi- I, I, I see why you're doing that. I see evidence of you in, in David's life. And he was good with that. See, what God said matters to Jonathan, and it changes life. But here's the problem with us. Please listen. This is really important. I think as human beings, I think we are conditioned to believe that we are less than what God says about us. 
I think there's something in us and all of us that are just conditioned to believe that we are less than what God says we are. I think there's something in us that just makes us be conditioned to believe that we're not fully who God says we are. Now, I want to try to illustrate this just really quickly, and it may not be the best illustration, but hang with me. Let's put a bill up here. $100 bill. Quickly, how much is a $100 bill worth? $100. Maybe. But you know, a $100 bill is really worth, in one way, 14 cents. You say, what in the world are you talking about? That's how much it makes, how, that's how much it costs to, to print this bill. There's 14 cents that our government has invested in the paper and the ink on this $100 bill. 14 cents. But it's worth $100. Right? Why is it worth $100? Because our government has ascribed that worth to this 14-cent note. Why is it worth $100? Because our government has ascribed that worth to this 14-cent note. And so you think, what's the point for me? You are worth, or your value in your life is based on what God has given to you or ascribed to you. Right? That's what you're worth. Now, most of us are, 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 there are a lot of days I feel like 14 cents instead of $100. Anybody else with me? You have more 14-cent days than $100 days? Yeah. And that, but, so how do we break free from 14-cent days? Understanding that God has given me my worth. What God has said about me is where I get my worth, not what others say about me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, I want to show you this. Because contentment is never going to be found in your life until you believe what God says about you instead of what other people say about you. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Lavish just means poured over, just buckets and buckets full. You may not feel loved because of your past or because of what others said, but are you going to listen to what they say or what God says about you? See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. So there's two things just really quickly. It says that God loves us unconditionally. Is that good news for anybody? That's great news. So am I going to believe what God says about me or what others say about me? I'm going to choose to live the rest of my life believing what God says about me. And then he says, I'm his child, which means because I'm his child, I'm an heir to all his promises. You ever feel like you're slighted? You ever feel like, you know what, there are all these folks that just have so much more and kind of got a silver spoon in their mouth and on and on, and they have more. Can, can I just tell you something? When you begin to understand this, that you're a child of the king, that means you're an heir of his promises. That feels pretty doggone good, right? That's where contentment lives. Now, here's what I want to say. Last thing today, super important. I really believe, I, I really believe what, I, what I said, and the last point is true, but I think most people inside the church know that. Here's the part that we don't know. So fourth and final thing. And you will never say so long insecurity until you start living this out. Right? What do we say in point number three? You'll never say so long insecurity until you start believing what God has said about you instead of what other people say about you. Now watch this. Look at point four. Contentment. Watch it. Man, you got this could mess you up. Contentment is not just believing the right things about yourselves, and the right things about yourself would be what God says about you, right? That's important. It's not just that, but it's learning to declare the right things about God. Like, people don't talk about this, right? And I want to show you something. Let me show you a verse because the looks could kill me here, right? Contentment is not just believing the right things about yourself, but true contentment starts when you do more than that, then you start declaring the right things about who God is. Look, look at this verse. I love this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to what Simon Peter says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is true about you, but you're a chosen people. Is that good? God chose you. He loves you. He picked you for his team, right? You're the kid in third grade kickball that didn't get picked. And God says, I love you. I pick you first. 
Anybody like that? Yeah, we love it. We love it. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Son, royal priesthood. Is that true? Yeah, I'm going to believe that. Because Satan wants to remind you of your past, right? And God's reminding you of who you are in him, royal priesthood, a holy nation. Nice. I like that. Set apart. God's special possession. Oh, right? That's what you ladies want to say. That's hashtag coffee mug. I'm, that's there. <laughs> that's on a coffee mug. Here's my point. Most of the time when I hear people talk or teach or preach or write on this verse, they stop right there. And it's good. Everything there is good. But that's not where the verse stops. All that stuff is true. And believing that stuff about yourself will change you. But watch. Here's the second part of this verse. This drives me crazy. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. All these things are true about you, not just so you can feel good about yourself, but that you can declare the goodness and the greatness of our God. Like we aren't here on planet. This is the problem with contemporary Christianity. It's just all about what makes us feel good. Listen, you aren't here to just feel good. You are here to bring glory to our God, right? You see that? And so understanding that, Thank you for that. It's slowing me down, though. i got to get through this. <laughs> Hearing the right things about you will help you. I'm unconditionally loved. I'm a child of the king. I'm more than a conqueror. That will help you so much. Listening to the wrong things about you will kill you, right? You're a failure. You're a screw-up. You'll never amount to anything. But then watch this. When you learn to take another step and start on a daily basis declaring the right things about who God is, it will transform you. David is a, an amazing dude. He's a complex guy. He's a renaissance guy. Here's a guy who kills a giant under God's power with a slingshot. That's pretty cool. Ladies, you might want to cover your ears here if you're prone to nausea. He goes out with a sword. He cuts Goliath's head off, marches back into town with it on the tip of the spear, and dudes are like, oh, it's my boy right there, David. He's also a guy that writes 75 songs in Scripture praising God. He's a songwriter. What is he doing? He's praising. Not just believing the right things about him, which he did, but he spent a bulk of his time declaring the right things about him. That's where contentment is found. When you start doing this, watch. When you start doing that, you'll begin to realize so long insecurity. You'll begin to break free in ways you never have before. Can I tell you something as we close today that I love? I mean, I remember as a boy when it was David and Goliath Sunday. It was my favorite Sunday in Sunday school. Any of you remember that as a boy growing up? David and Goliath Sunday. Didn't get better than that. David and Goliath, great story. But do you understand that here's what we miss about the story of David and Goliath. It is a great story, but it was never intended to be a standalone story. It was always intended to be part of a far greater story. 
right? And so, I mean, Goliath sets the rules. Goliath comes out and says, hey, 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 not going to be two armies against two armies. It's just going to be me against your best. Good on good. I'm coming out here. You send me your best. Whoever wins, to the victor goes the spoils. He's saying it's going to be a representative battle. Like what I do is going to be passed down to everybody who's with me. And what your guy comes out and does is going to be passed down to everybody who's with you. He set the terms. And you say, what's the point? David is a type of Christ. He is foreshadowing. His victory is foreshadowing what Jesus would do. Now what I love about the David and Goliath story, watch this. For 40 days, Goliath comes out and he taunts the army of Israel. And if you go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 17, the army of Israel lined up every day for battle. They saw Goliath and they, they screamed and ran back in fear. And then David walks out under God's power and slays the giant. The giant falls. And what happens? All of the army of Israel takes off into the battlefield. I mean, fear is erased, insecurity is gone, and they rush out into the field. Why? Because they realized the battle that David won was theirs. He represented them. And so they went out and they routed the Philistines and they plundered them. Here's what's happening in the church. We have stayed on the sidelines with fear and insecurity. We have never fully realized the victory that Jesus won when he defeated the enemy, when he defeated sin, he never took the bait, never committed to sin. When he defeated death, when he walked out of that grave, when he paid our penalty on the cross in full, his victory was whose victory? It was ours. It was passed down to us. What David won was passed down to the children of Israel, but what Jesus won can be passed down to you. Is that not cool? And that's what will allow you to leave the sidelines and take the field in freedom, man. That's where it's at. Some of you today have been on the sidelines locked in fear your entire life. And you never fully realized that Jesus' victory could be yours. You thought it was all based on your performance, your effort, and you have failed time and time again. You thought ultimate victory was the sum total of you winning all these other, and it's not. It's about understanding that Jesus' victory by faith could be your victory. Do you see? And somebody here today needs to surrender to that. Somebody here today needs to put their faith and trust in the one who won a victory for them. Others as Christians need to be reminded of what was won and let that free us into the battlefield. Because Romans 8, 37, let me close with this, says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself up for us. We feel like all these things, our addictions, our fears, sin areas in our life, our anxiety, all these things are battles that are way too big to win. But Jesus has destroyed the ultimate enemy. He's won the ultimate victory, and that can be passed down to us. And that's what liberates us. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Father, teach us as a people the high cost of insecurity. Many of us have had our identity stolen. We have believed what others said about us instead of the truth of your word. And God, teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word how to say so long insecurity. Lord, there's some people here today who need to start believing what you have said about them. You ascribe our worth. Father, others of us 
need to begin in ever-increasing measure to declare your goodness because it's become so selfish and self-centered and the insecurity is raging and the lack of contentment is still present. Teach us today. And Father, finally today, there are those that are on the sidelines all their life in fear and discouragement and defeat, feeling utterly hopeless feeling like they have never had what it takes to be right with you. But Father, today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you remind them that the victory that David won was Israel's victory, and the victory that Jesus won is our victory. And they can step into that today by faith. Lord, would you do that here in this place? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 8.20, 9.40, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.